We're in, we're in May. It's May, May 12th today, and, and we started in, in Genesis in, uh, in January. And so to call this the story and to move through Scripture uh, and to be four and a half months in and all the way to Acts, um, it's, very, it's very fair to go, whoa, what, what's going on? Where are we going? And so um, if this is new to you reading through Scripture, I um, just, just want to say, hey, this is not a normal pace. This is like we're jumping around and fast-forwarding. And what we're trying to, what we're trying to catch is, a, is a, a renewed desire and love and appreciation for, for Scripture. And not just for Scripture, but for Scripture that we see God in. That our love for God would grow, that, that our, our hearts and minds would be conformed to how He desires us to be. That we would catch what He's doing in and through, not just Scripture there, but then also that we can see Him at, at work in our, in our world and in our own lives. And so the story is, it's, it's God's story, and we're trying to find our place in it. And we're all the way in the book of Acts, and so um, we're still reading the Old Testament along the way, but we're jumping forward into the book of Acts. And we started there a couple weeks ago as we, as we stopped and reflected on, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then John, a couple weeks ago, joined us, and he, he went through the, the, the kind of the, the movement of the Holy Spirit that started, and then, and then Adam last week of the forming of the church. And then what I want to look at this week is, is the, the change of the church, the, of how the first people of God came together in a family, in a community, and, and, and how they, they changed really rapidly. They, did, they didn't stay the same. And in doing so, what we'll see this morning as we look at this particular story, which is a, it's just a crazy story, and there's so many that I felt like I'm saying that a lot recently as we've been moving through the story. We've got so many things in this book are just kind of crazy. And what we're going to see this, this morning is that, that God works in unexpected ways. And that's not new, that, that you know, he wouldn't be God if he didn't do that. But he works in, in unexpected ways. He works in, in shocking ways. But he actually tells us he's going to do it before he does it. And we have this paradox that we'll see today in the story is that, that God does these shocking things. He works in new and unexpected, uncomfortable ways, but he's already said he's going to do it. And so those that know him the best and have read his word the most and are most familiar with him and closest to him actually have already heard that he's going to do this, and it's still shocking to them. And so we have this paradox is that God does these, these wild and crazy things, but if we actually pay attention, he says, I, I told you I was going to do that. And it happened to the, the first followers of Jesus, that Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross and be executed and die. And they're like, no change of plans. We get to all vote, right? That's how this works. And Jesus says, no, appreciate you, but no, you should have known this, that the servant, the Messiah, the anointed one is going to suffer, has to suffer for these things. And, and they, they had heard it, but, but they didn't, they didn't want to experience it. God, God works in unexpected ways, makes us uncomfortable, shocks us. But the truth is that he's already told us he's going to do it. Here's the story that we're going to look at together uh, this morning. It's a uh, it's in chapter 10. And in, in chapter 10, we, we, we find this story that takes an entire chapter. Um, so Luke is writing it. Luke's written the book of Luke, and then he writes Acts, which it takes up a majority. Those two books are really, really long, Luke and Acts, and takes up a majority of the, of the New Testament, important parts of the story of who Jesus is and who we are as the church. And as we come to chapter 10, he takes, he takes the, the entire chapter to tell this story, and then in chapter 11, he repeats it, which is, just means it's an important story. So here it is. I want to read through the story, and then we're going to look at the two key players in the story. That's what we're going to do. Chapter 10 of the book of Acts, right after chapter 9, chapter 10 says this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. 
he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. The angel gets Cornelius' attention. Cornelius is a centurion. He's, a, um, he's most likely Italian. He's in an Italian regiment. He's not a Jew, therefore. Um, Rome has empowered him. Centurion, over 100 uh, men. He led 100 men. Um, and he's in Caesarea, who's named after that, that town, a city is, is on the coast of, of Israel on the northern end, and it's named after Caesar. Caesar, Caesarea, uh, it's, not, it's not a Jewish-influence-dominated city. It's, it's, it's a city that's, that's been influenced heavily by Rome. And so this is a, uh, um, a centurion who's God-fearing, which means he's rejected all of the religions of Rome and of Greece, and he says, what the, what the Jews are and what they're doing seems appealing to me. There's something different there. There's all these gods and religions over here, but I'm, I'm actually ruling over in some way these Jews, and, and the God that they worship is appealing to me. And so he's, he's God-fearing. He's worshiping the Jewish God, the God of the Bible, the God of Judaism. He's worshiping that God, and he's trying to find out more, and he doesn't understand it all, but he's, he's actually giving money to their efforts, and he's, he's God-fearing, and he gives, and he prays to that God. Can't go in the temple, he can't become a Jew. He hasn't become a Jew, but, but he's God-fearing. Angel gets his attention and by his name, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear, which any of us would do if an angel said that to us. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And although it's a, by the sea and a tanner, it's not the tanner that we think about today as like a, I'm going to go to the, the you know, the, the, the tanner salon, um, the tanning salon. It's not that kind of tanner. And I don't know exactly why we have to get so confusing with Simon's, but we could have just gone with Peter and Simon, but for a reason that we're not going to go into today, there's Simon who is called Peter, and then there's a different Simon who does the, the tanning, not the tanning uh, at a tanning booth, but as a, as a at tanning leather. That's the guy's occupation. He's known by it. So um, Peter is staying at Simon's house, who's a, who's a tanner. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. And when a centurion says, I had a vision, an angel showed up and go run this errand, you just do it. So they just do it. So they take off and go. Verse nine, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry. It's about noon. It's kind of normal. He became hungry. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds, period. This is not the kind of trance that you've had. When it's noon and you're hungry and you fall into a hunger trance and imagine food coming out of the drive-through or out of the kitchen or whatever it be, and maybe it's on a, on a, on a sheet, this is not that, that kind of a dream, okay? You've not had this kind of dream. This is unique, okay? So this is a, it's, it's a, it's a crazy thing that happens right here. Peter is on the roof of his house, which is, which is normal. He didn't like oddly climb on the roof like we would climb on. It was like a patio on top, and there's a breeze coming off the shore, and he's up there, and he's like, well, it's noon. I'm hungry. And he probably hollered down to somebody else, and maybe it was Simon the Tanner. Hey, bring me some food. And so somebody's making him food, and it's on the way up, and he dozes off kind of and goes into this trance, and he has 
this vision. But what happens next is if you've got the kind of Bible where it has God's words in red, Jesus' words in red, um, uh, these, are, these are red words in my Bible, which means it's the voice of Jesus speaking to him, and he doesn't quite realize it. But he's got this vision of this sheet coming down with all kinds of animals on it. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. So he, Lord, he knows who's it, who it is. And, and Peter's done this before. This isn't the first time. He tells Jesus what's up. This is, this is what he's doing. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. So he's stating his, his accomplishment. I've never eaten anything. So he's grown up as a Jewish boy. He's read scriptures. He's memorized the significant points of it. He's become a disciple, which is a huge divergent from what his family uh, wanted and thought for him, what his culture, what his city, what his village, everything where his life was going. He, he diverts from that, and he, he goes and follows Jesus. So he's already broken with so many in, in, his, in his background and his family. That's kind of thing. He's, he's followed Jesus, but he's telling Jesus, I haven't given up some things of where I've come from. Some things, Jesus, that you're for because, because you're God in the flesh. And so you've given us the Old Testament. You've told us not to eat certain things. And hey, Jesus, in, in case you're trying to test me, I just want to let you know, I've not crossed a boundary. I've not gone outside the lines. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, which is kind of a track record with Peter. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So sheet comes down. It's got food on it that is not to be eaten by, by Jewish people. There's, uh, in Leviticus uh, chapter 11, there's very clear laws laid out by God of what to eat and not eat, not, not to eat um, certain animals like this. They couldn't eat uh, a pig and, and camel and, and, and other animals. And, and on that sheet were some of those, and then reptiles and, um, and birds and other things were all on this. And there were some that he could eat and some that he couldn't eat. And so he, he takes it initially as, like, am I being tested? Because I'm, I know I'm not supposed to eat these things, and I'm really hungry, and I, there's a great meal being prepared downstairs that is stuff that I can't eat. And as this comes down, and, and I'm here, I'm supposed to eat this. I'm confused, and I don't, I don't get it. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, he's trying to figure out what he had just seen. The Spirit said to him, the Holy Spirit leads him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion, not a Jewish person. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Peter is, Peter is significantly confused. He doesn't understand what's going on. He's up on the roof. It doesn't say he's eaten yet, so he's got that other just, I'm still hungry, and I'm trying to figure this out, and you guys are knocking at my door, and you're not supposed to come inside because you're not Jewish, and you, you belong to the centurion guy, and so we don't invite you in and, and, and sit around my table and in my courthouse and in my, I mean, in my courtyard and in my home. That's just not what we do because I have these lines, I have these boundaries that, that I know God wants me to honor, and so I, I can't invite you and, but wait, I just saw this vision, and I'm not supposed to call anything impure. And the Holy Spirit just told me, well, you're, 
<laughs> I'm supposed to invite you in. And so, oh gosh, I'm confused. And okay, I'm going to try this and, and go ahead and come on inside. And they come inside and spend a little time. And then it, it goes on and he, he goes up with them the next day to, uh, uh, to Caesarea and he, he goes into, he goes to uh, Cornelius's door and he knocks on the door and Cornelius invites him in and, and he takes this other step that's kind of boundary crossing and he, he goes across this barrier that he wouldn't have crossed normally and he goes into the home of Cornelius who's not a Jew and, and then Cornelius does this really weird thing where he bows down to, to Peter and Peter's like, whoa, I'm, you don't do that. I mean, you're a centurion, you're, you're bigger, stronger, faster than I am. And we'll look at your uniform. That's pretty cool. And no, don't bow down. This is odd. Get, get up. I'm just a man. And then he goes deeper into the house. And what he finds is a whole group of people who are essentially ready for a church service. They're ready for a worship gathering because Cornelius is worshiping God in the best way he knows how. And he's influenced and led, and he's trusted by those men who follow him. And they said, he's, he's trusted by us. He's trusted by the other people in Caesarea. We respect him. We know he's a good man. And Peter, in that setting, begins to, to speak, and he says this. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And then he goes on to tell them what they already know. You know the message got sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. You know the name of Jesus. You don't understand everything about him yet, but you know him, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee and the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with his Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now, let me tell you some new information. Let me tell you the next chapter of the story. Let me tell you the, the good news that you don't yet know about. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And here it is. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. Maybe they'd already heard that part. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge over the living and the dead. And listen to this. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone, everyone, not just me and my Jewish friends and all the people that have been trying to follow God for, for generations, but all, everyone, including maybe all of you Gentiles and Romans and centurions and slaves that are in this household and all of you, maybe everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then here's what happened. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, so there's just a few of them, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then they asked Peter to stay for a few days because they were having so much fun. This is, maybe you've heard the story before, maybe you haven't, maybe you hear it now and you're like, okay, that's, that's kind of a cool scene. This was, this was absolutely outside the frame of reference, outside the, the capacity to comprehend what Peter thought was true. It blew all of the barriers and all of the boundaries that Peter thought were in place and that he was to function within. It, it completely shattered them. Peter, Peter had a, a vision for his life 
And he actually had a vision for the way that God was going to work in the world. And, and what happened is that, that Peter's vision didn't line up with God's vision. It actually was, was divergent. It actually was different. It actually was off the rails a little bit. And God uses his story to say, Peter, I want to get you back on to my vision because your vision is, is kind of different. See, see, Peter's vision was, it was, a good, it was good. It was based in, in Scripture, Leviticus chapter 11. He was familiar with it. He probably had it memorized. If Peter was standing here, he probably could recite it in, to you in Hebrew in, 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 without hardly even turning his brain. He just, he just had it there. He knew what it was. And he wasn't supposed to eat certain things. And then God gives him this vision on this rooftop and says, wait, 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 I'm going I'm to completely shock you right now and make you uncomfortable and tell you everything that you've previously known has changed when it comes to food laws and what is impure and what is pure, what is clean and what is unclean. And God's shocking him. And yet Jesus has already told him this. Jesus has already told him. Mark chapter 7, verse 19 says, no, no, no. It's not what goes in you that makes you unclean. It's, it's what comes out of you. It's your heart. We're not going to any longer talk about food as being that what makes you clean and unclean. That period is done. We're moving into a new period. Something has changed. And Jesus, I've showed up. And because I've showed up, everything is different now. Everything is different now. And so no longer the things that you thought were impure. And he quickly moves from food. And food is ultimately just an illustration. I know to those many of us, food is much more than an illustration. But in this story, it's just an illustration. It, it, it's an illustration of there's, there's things that I'm going to call you to and not call you to. I'm going to set you apart because you're going to follow these, these kind of bizarre, crazy laws. But you're going to be seen as distinct and different. But then a time is coming with all those who don't align with you and all those that don't look like you and all those that don't think like you and all those that don't behave like you aren't going to be on the outside. They're going to be invited inside. And so food is going to become just an illustration and now pretty quickly he moves to people. God moves to people and said, there is no one that is outside the reach of me. And what happened to Peter is all of a sudden he's in Joppa. He's on the roof of, a, of, of his buddy, Simon the Tanner, which in and of itself should have woken up Peter and said, no, 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 you're not even supposed to be in this dude's home. This guy touches dead animals. And we all know that as a Jew, if you're around dead animals, you're unclean. You can't go in the temple. But see, Peter's already changing and hardly was even paying attention to it. Because he's Jewish, he didn't think about it as much. But he's in the home of a guy who should be unclean. And yet God calls him all the way a day's journey up to Caesarea and takes him inside the Cornelius' house and said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in there and I'm going to speak through you and you're going to talk to them. And what's going to happen is they're not just going to listen. They're going to be transformed. And the Holy Spirit's going to show up. If you were here last week, Adam talked through what happens in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit shows up. And, and, he, and he's, he, he described it as it's crazy and everybody else is watching them. And it says, they just kind of look like they're drunk in the middle of the day, which is just doubly disappointing. But they look like they're drunk, but they're not. They're celebrating God transforming them. And Peter now sees that happen inside the home of a Gentile. And he says, everything I previously thought is my, my mind is just kind of blown. God shocked me and done this unexpected thing. What does that mean for me and for you today? What does it mean that we might have boundaries and expectations that, that we're used to or that we're familiar with? Or here's the key, that we're comfortable with. That God might say, no, that's not my boundary. That's your boundary. Maybe that was my boundary back then, but it's not now. I, uh, I, I can't help but read this story, and I, I love this story, and I'm familiar with this story, but the, the significance of what God is doing and demonstrating is, is about people, ultimately. And what God is revealing in this story, and, and, and here's the thing, 
God takes a whole chapter, Acts chapter 10, to tell this one scene, this one story. And then if you read chapter 11, it's a repetition of this story again in the voice of Peter. There's essentially two chapters to tell one story. The previous chapter, chapter 9, you know what happens in chapter 9? A, a dude who is killing Christians and destroying churches comes to faith. That's a pretty big deal. His name was Saul, and then he was renamed Paul. Pretty key factor, figure in, in the, the whole of Scripture in the New Testament. Paul comes to faith after killing Christians, and that takes half a chapter. And then in the next half a chapter, we have Peter raising a woman from the dead. And not like, oh, she just slipped away, like let's spiritually like and bring her back. Like she died. The women around her prepared her body, stripped her, washed her, set her in an upper room in, a, in their house, and is like dead, dead for a while. Like funeral invitations have already gone out. Peter shows up there and heals her. And she wakes up and is friendly again and, and walks around for another few years. Like Paul comes to faith a really dead woman is raised, and those each get half a chapter. And yet this is like this bigger thing than either one of those. Why is that? If God is going to reach the people that God loves, he's going to do it through me and you. And it's probably not going to happen in our comfort zone that he's going to move us from where we're comfortable to where we're uncomfortable, to where we're used to and competent and secure. And he's going to take us into another place where we're not, where we're uncomfortable, where we actually get this. We actually don't understand everything. Peter preaches a message to a mess of Gentiles who don't know Jesus, and he doesn't even understand what he's doing. He has stepped over a boundary into his uncomfortable zone and he's like, I'm just supposed to start preaching and teaching, and so I'm going to do that. And God, I'm, God I, I'm glad to do this. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be obedient. But I wonder if Peter, in the back of his mind, was, was kind of thinking like, Jesus, i got to tell you again, this isn't going to work. Like, can I, go, can I go back to Joppa? Like, it's enough that I can work with guys that are, are around dead animals. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty, pretty rad. Like, that's, I mean, that's boundary breaking right there. This probably isn't going to work. So can I finish this, and can I leave? And, and, and what happens? Then the Holy Spirit shows up. Then the Holy Spirit shows up, confirming faith is real in these people. Faith is real. When I begin to ask the question of what does this mean for me at this point in my life, at this season, I, I, I tried this week to think of a whole lot of different ways to go with this one, and I can't, I can't get off of, of thinking about uh, what it means to lead in, in our church family in this season. And, and as I mentioned earlier, we're in this year of Jubilee. And, uh, and, and Jubilee sounded awesome in January. To start the new year and be like, hey, we're going to rest. We, we, we led with three words, love, come back to our first love, Jesus. Oh, great. I want to I grow in that. I want to be challenged in that. I want to experience that. Rest. I, want, I, want, I need to rest. I need to figure out how to do that more and better and and create and create a new story. And now it's the middle of May. And 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 where I'm at is like I, I love Jesus. It's been a great four and a half months. I love him so much. He's he's stretched me. He's spoken to me in new ways. It, it, I can see new ways that I'm growing, um, being humbled, um, getting gaining new insight, listening to wisdom. Like I 
Thank you, Jesus. Rest. That was great. We're done. We're rested, right? Like, that was good. Check. Like, can we go? Because I'm, I'm ready to go somewhere. Um, I, I mean, I can, I can see the, the, the birthing of a new story. Like, can we just say we're, we've got it? Like, we're, we created the new story, and, and, and now we can, we can be like, yay, Jubilee was, was awesome. Wasn't that, wasn't that great? And boom, like, 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 let's go somewhere. Like, like we're, we're, all, we're all rested, right? We're not all rested. Like, I'm not, I'm actually not rested. I mean, I like to tell Jesus that I'm rested, but I, I'm not rested. Um, my, my wife and key staff have let me know that, so that's, that's awesome. But if you want to know where I'm comfortable, I'm comfortable not resting anymore. I'm comfortable not knowing what the, I mean, knowing what the future is and getting ready to go. What, what is uncomfortable for me, what is to step across a, a boundary is to say, God, I don't have all the answers. I don't exactly know what's next. And when I don't know what's next, I like to just jump out and start going somewhere and to figure it out along the way. And I've actually been learning from the same people, my, my wife and a few key staff, that, that that's not great. For me personally, what, what this means for me is, is if, if the people that matter most to God are going to matter most to me, I'm going to have to take a next step of uncomfortable stretching and growth. And it's probably not going to be designed by me, planned by me, and implemented by me completely. I don't get to be in control of all that. And so I have to step across from what I, it was known and comfortable into a place where I'm not totally comfortable. But what I can see the beginnings of and what I can we begin to hear and even, even taste is that what if, what if we do that? What if I do that and, and you do that and, and you do that and, and you do that? And you too? I can't see you, so I don't know who you are up there. But. Like, what if, what if we did that? What if we all said, like, God, I'm, I am completely prime and perfect and comfortable, right? Right where I'm in with all, what I've always known. But if I'm going to step out into something that's, that's not known and not comfortable and be out of my element a little bit and be stretched a little bit, what, what if I get to be like, Peter? What if we get to be like Peter and, and not even sure that what we're doing or saying is going to have the impact that God wants to happen, but then he takes over and he does something. If we, if we avoid running back to comfort and stay in a place that is a little uncomfortable, what this tells me is that we're going to be less on our vision and our agenda, and we have the potential at least. We're putting ourselves in the place to be on, on mission and on vision with what God wants to do, which is far better than what we want or can see. And when we look at Cornelius, and we look at all of the people in our city and around us and in our lives and in our even homes and in our family relationships and in our spheres of influence and in our places of work and in our neighborhoods and these people that God so loves and cares about who he created, who we can see this process happening where it says that God accepts them. And accepts doesn't mean that they're saved. Accept means that God values them and loves them and sees them. They're not outside of his sight. That we actually would be a part of this, that we get down to verse 43 again, all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes 
in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Cornelius was a God-fearer who longed for something. And I can tell you this, and we know this, the people that we know that are far from Jesus do not long only to be accepted. They don't long to just be accepted like in verse 34. What they long for is what happens in verse 43, where they're transformed where they're invited and they're welcomed and they're told truth in the context of grace. And they're confronted with the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. And they're invited to repent, like so many of us have and do repeatedly, that they repent and are transformed, they're forgiven. And then they're set on a track for their life where they become more of the men and women that God's designed them to be. And they experience a sense of community that they've never had in their life. And the Holy Spirit comes in them and moves through them and works in them and heals them and restores them, reconciles them first to Jesus and then to his people, and then works through them in the world around them. That we get to be a part of of that. There's a global thing that God's doing in this story. And what he's saying is that all people matter to him. All people that look different, that think different, that vote different, that dress different, that believe different, that advocate different. All people matter to God. And God has consistently through his story used his followers to reach more people. And very rarely does it happen when we're most comfortable. And so God is calling each and every one of us to follow him, not our own ideas, but to follow him out into new territory and to say, I'm going to step into the unknown a little bit. I'm going to be uncomfortable and follow him. And and what is God going to do? Here's what I'll invite you to do. If you'd close your eyes with me for a moment. This means something probably different for each and every one of us. And if we had another half an hour or hour, we could maybe go through a list of all the things that it means. But the truth is that some of us in this room know exactly what it means to, to step into the unknown a little bit and to be uncomfortable and to take a risk, a courageous, faithful, obedient risk into where the Spirit's leading us, and we might not have it all outlined and clear. But what we do know is clear is who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so the the first step, and maybe it's a comfortable one or maybe it's an uncomfortable one, is to come back to Jesus yet again and to do what we do every week when we gather here in this place is come to his body and his blood. His body broken and his blood shed and his his obedient following his father into something very, not just uncomfortable, but costly and painful and to give his life. And so as we come to the table this morning, would you come being willing to listen to what it is that God is saying, I want to invite you into a new territory and to a new place. And Jesus, as we come to you this morning, we come worshiping, we come obedient, we come humbled, we come hopeful that you're doing a new work in each one of us, that we one by one would be changed and empowered and forgiven again, rescued further, and that you would then use us to do what it is that that you want to do in your story. It's to the person who feels unaccepted and left out and left alone and unreachable and even unlovable that you would use us to be your, your voice, your hands, and your feet in our city and our world.